Today we're going to cover the study of the story of, uh, of the story of Saul. This is the first third of the United Kingdom period. The United Kingdom period uh, runs from 1 Samuel chapter 8 to 1 Kings chapter 11. And the theme is the rise and establishment of Israel's monarchy. And the time, as I've already indicated, runs from about 1050 B.C. to 930 B.C. 1050 B.C. Uh, is the election of Saul. 930 B.C. is the death of Solomon and the division of the kingdom. How long did Saul reign? How do we know that? Acts 13. How long did David reign? Forty years. How do we know that? First Kings, Second Samuel, pardon me, chapter 5. And how long did Solomon reign? Forty years. How do we know that? First Kings, chapter 11. Remember, I gave you those three passages last time. We add them all up, there's 120 years. Now, there's one problem. It may have been that, Saul, that Saul's reign and David's reign overlapped about seven years. But assuming that it did not, it runs from 1050 to 930 B.C. Now, let's look this morning at the kingdom under Saul, which runs from 1050 to 930 B.C. Saul is one of the tragic stories in the Bible. Saul's whole life, at least his life as the king, is uh, summarized in one verse in the book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 26. Will you turn there with me to 1 Samuel chapter 26? One verse seems to epitomize Saul's whole life. It's a confession of Saul when he's an old man. Now, young men don't make these kind of confessions, but old men do. And Saul made this confession near the end of his life. First, first Samuel chapter 26, verse 21. Then said Saul, 26, 21, first Samuel. Then said Saul, I have sinned, return my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. That is, although you had an opportunity to kill me, had several opportunities to kill me, you did not do it. Behold, I have played the fool and have erred exceedingly. I have played the fool. That's the story of Saul's life. I played the fool. That could be written on as an epitaph on a lot of men's life, couldn't it? I have played the fool. What a sad, sad thing. Saul's life started out bright and prosperous, with every advantage. Saul was greatly blessed physically, intellectually, uh, popular with the people, chosen by Samuel, anointed by Samuel, with all wonderful prospects, and yet he ended his life as a suicide. His sons were killed in battle, and he committed suicide. He started out in the bright sunshine and ended in the dark night. And when he got all through, Paul's, uh, Saul said, I have played the fool. What a tragedy. And Saul was a believer, too. Saul was a believer. How do you know? Well, because 
the Holy Spirit came upon Saul and stayed on Saul for quite some time. Furthermore, uh, Samuel said to Saul, soon you're going to come to me personally. So Saul was a believer, but he was a believer whose life is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Paul says, I beat my body black and blue, bring it under discipline, under subjection, so that having preached to others, I myself should not be disapproved. Uh, the King James is cast away, disapproved, called out of the race. I myself shall not have failed. Now, Paul didn't. Paul said, I fought a good fight. He finished the race. I finished the course. Saul didn't. Ananias and Sapphira didn't. Lot didn't. The Bible is filled with the lives of men who started well with believers but whose lives ended in tragedy, and their lessons to us, their warnings to us. You know, the Bible gives us a lot more warnings than it does good examples in some respects because uh, the Bible knows that we learn from the warnings of the lives of these men. And Saul is a, is a uh, warning to us of the failure that's due to uh, disobedience to the will of God, a self-centered life, allowing the root of bitterness to get into his soul and eventually destroying Saul. All these things we find in the life of Saul and his life ended in tragedy. He was a suicide. Now, the three major divisions of Saul's life, I have them on the board. I don't know whether they're in the outline, but you won't even need to look at the outline. They're on the board. What's the first one? Saul's election to the throne. What's the second one? Saul's rejection from the throne. And the third one is Saul's, de what is that? Deflection from the throne. Saul, I really should have said declension. I meant declension. About the same thing. Saul is elected. Then because of two tragic failures, God rejects him, but he's not immediately put out of the ki uh, kingship. And from chapter 16 to 31, we watch Saul gradually yet uh, steadily decline while David rises. So the three distinct periods in Saul's life. First of all, his rise, his election. Secondly, when, the, when he faces the crisis, he fails, and God rejects Saul. Then for the next 20 years, Saul declines, 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 declension. And David's star rises. And Saul declines and declines till he ends his life in suicide. Now let's see if we can cover those three periods. First of all, uh, Saul's election to the throne. That's found in 1 Samuel chapters 8 through 12. 1 Samuel 8 to 12. And there are two major things in Saul's election to the throne. First of all, Israel's demand for a king. And then secondly, Saul's election to kingship. Two things in those five chapters. First, Israel demands a king. Second, uh, Saul is chosen as the king. Now let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8. Here's Israel's demand for a king. 
First Samuel chapter 8. Samuel is old man now, and his sons are corrupt. So the uh, Israelites, the children of Israel, come to Samuel, and they ask him for a king. So they say, uh, 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 verse, verse 4, chapter 8, verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah, and said to Samuel, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways, they are corrupt. Now make us say what? There's a turning point in Israel's history, critical. Now make us a king to judge us like all nations. Now, why did they want a king? Well, probably for three reasons. First of all, the corruption of, of, of Eli's sons and of Samuel's sons. Samuel's now an old man. Eli is gone. His sons were corrupt. Samuel's an old man now, and Samuel's sons are corrupt. So because there's no successor on the horizon, they come to Samuel and said, we want a king. Second reason they want a king is uh, we want somebody that can give unity to our tribal system and protect us against the military invasion. For the last 350 years, our tribes have suffered one invasion after another invasion. We've been devastated by this. So we need a strong central government, a king, and a military force to ward off these invasions. We need it to protect us from these military invasions. The disaster of, uh, under the present system of government prompted them to ask for this thing. Then the third thing was peer pressure. All the nations round about us have a king. Yes, Samuel, you do too. Your king's in heaven. Yeah, but we want one that we can see and to whom we can pay taxes. We'd rather like that king. So they said, no, we want one. And so they say, verse 5, make us a king to judge us. What's the next word? Like. All, we want to be like all the peer pressure. We want to be like all the nations. Well, Samuel's angered by that. He figures that's a rejection of himself, and his ministry goes to God. God says, Samuel, give them a king. Give them a king. That's not my preceptive will, but it's my decretive will. Go ahead and give them a king. They rejected not you. They rejected me. Hosea 13, 11 I gave them a king in my anger, 1050 B.C., and I took him away in my wrath, 721 and 586 B.C. So God said, go ahead and give them a king, but warned them what he's going to do. So Samuel went back to the elders and to the people, and he told them, all right, God's going to give you a king, but let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to do five things. First of all, He's going to um, put you under military prescription even when it's not needed. Military conscription. Secondly, you're going to suffer from slavery. He's going to take your sons and your daughters and make them slaves. Third, there's going to be widespread land confiscation. And often it's confiscated to give it to retired soldiers. Fourth, he's going to tax you and tax you and tax you to take care of his high standard of living. And fifth, 
you're going to suffer the loss of personal liberty. Now, all of that's found in verses 10 to 18, and you can see it. Samuel warned them what was going to happen, and exactly as Samuel warned, it came to pass during the next four or five hundred years. Whatever success is enjoyed by this, Samuel said, that success is going to be temporary, and you're going to have to pay a high, high price for rejecting God as king and asking for a human king. They did that later on, didn't they? Behold your king, said Pilate. We have no king, said the Jews. We have no king but Caesar. At the end of the millennium, they're going to do the same thing. When Satan is released to the bottomless pit, and he goes out, and the Lord Jesus has been reigning upon this earth for a thousand years. The lid is lifted, and the, and the constraints are removed. And Satan goes out the four corners of the earth, and they fall into the sands of the sea. Uh, demonstrating the utter incorrigibility of the human heart, and they follow. So we want a king like all the nations, despite all that Samuel warned. So Samuel said, all right, I'll give to you. God said, give them a king. They rejected not you, they rejected me. So the second thing we have is Saul's selection to be the king, and that's chapters 9, 10, and 11, and 12. Now there are three steps, three steps in Saul's election to be king. Three steps. First, Saul is privately anointed to be king. I think this is on the outline. First, Saul is privately anointed to be king. That's chapter 9, 1 to 10, 16. Look at chapter, what is it, chapter 10, verse, verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon Saul's head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? So there's the private anointing of Saul to be king. This is something that Samuel did privately to Saul. He anointed him. Secondly, Saul is publicly chosen by the people to be king, and he's chosen at Mizpah. Look at chapter 10, verse 17. Chapter 10, verse 17. Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah, and the children of Israel, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you out, and so on down the line. And verse 21, when he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come, he went down tribe by tribe by tribe, then within the tribes, the families within the tribes, when he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near, then the family of Matri was taken, and then, and then Saul, the son of Kish. When they looked for Saul, he had slipped out, see. He was reticent. He didn't want it. So he slipped out and hid himself. And he went and found Paul, Saul, brought him out, and said to the publicly, here is the king that God has chosen for you. And most of the people accepted that. But there were some people down at the end of verse 27, there were some worthless fellows that said, we don't like this guy, Saul. We don't like him. We're not going to accept him. So the third stage, uh, Saul is victoriously confirmed at Gilgal. Saul, uh, the Ammonites come up against Saul. So Saul gets an army and goes out 
and decisively defeats the Ammonites. And that authenticates the public choice of Saul. And the people that voted for Saul said, hey, where are those guys that said no to Saul? Bring them out here and we'll chop their heads off. See? And Saul said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And all the people were won over to Saul by his victory over the Ammonites in that day. That's Saul's selection to the throne. And Saul is now finally publicly established as the king, the first king of Israel, Saul. Now we come to the second great movement in Saul's life, and that's Saul's rejection from the throne. Saul's rejection from the throne. Now you remember that uh, during the past uh, 350, 400 years, um, uh, the 12 tribes have been threatened again and again and again by foreign invaders. Down in the south, west, there were the Philistines. Up north, there were the Canaanites. Over on the east were the Ammonites. Down southeast were the Moabites. Way up north were some of the people that lived in the Fertile Crescent. And these people made invasions into Palestine and put them under tribute and devastated their villages. And so Saul is going, the first, one of the first tasks Saul is going to have to do is to unite these 12 tribes under a central government and protect them from their enemies. So there are two great battles that Saul's going to be engaged in. One against the Philistines, one against the Ammonites. In both of them, Saul is successful. Uh, uh, the Philistines and the Amalekites. First, the Philistines in chapter 13. Secondly, the Amalekites in chapter 16. In both of them, Saul decisively defeats the Philistines and the Amalekites. Now, are you listening? Although he decisively defeats them, yet at the same time in doing so, he openly and flagrantly disobeyed the clear command of God. First, in entering in and offering the sacrifice, separation of church and state, violation. And Samuel and the Old Testament warned him against that. And he violated that, disobeyed God. And Samuel said, because you've disobeyed God, your dynasty, your descendants are rejected. They won't sit on the throne. Then in the next one, the battle against the Amalekites, Saul, instead of destroying all the Amalekites, saved the best, partial obedience. And Samuel said, because you've done this, God's not only rejected your dynasty, He's also rejected you, and you'll no longer be the king over Israel. You, God has rejected you. And from there on, Saul is on the skids. And from there on, they select the new king, and Saul seeks to kill him, David, because he knows he's going to be his successor. Now let's look at those two quickly. Two failures of Saul. The first failure is in the Philistine War. There are two great wars, the Philistine War and the Amalekite War. The Philistine War and the Amalekite War. Look at chapter 13, verse 5. 
the Philistine Wars in chapter 13 and 14, the Amalekite Wars in chapter 15, the Philistine War in chapter 13 and 14. So we read in chapter 13, verse 5, and the Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. We're in the Iron Age now. And the Philistines had chariots in the Iron Age, but the Israelites did not, and they were at a great disadvantage. And here were 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people of the sand of the sea, which is on the seashore in multitude. And they came up and encamped in Michmash eastward from Beth Haven. Now here's Philistia down here, and they move up and invade, and they come up here. Here's Michmash north of Jerusalem. They invade, they invade uh, the land of the Israelites, and they set up headquarters north of Jerusalem. And of course, that that represents a decisive threat to Israel because it's going to split the land into two parts. You know, conquer and divide. Are they going to split and divide? That is divide and conquer. They're going to divide the land and uh, then by dividing it be able to conquer the south and the north. It represents a real threat. So Samuel says to Saul to tell the story. Samuel says to Saul, now you wait for me. I'm going to come. God's going to give you a victory over the Philistines. I'm going to come. But you wait. When I come, I'll offer a sacrifice. I'll come and seven days. You wait, I'll offer a sacrifice. You can't. You're the king. And a king can't be a priest. Separation of church and state. So seven days passed and Samuel didn't show up. This was a test of Saul. So Saul took it upon himself. He's kind of an egotist by now. Took it upon himself, went in, and acted the part of a priest and offered the sacrifice. And he no sooner offered the sacrifice than Samuel showed up on the scene. And Samuel said, why did you do that, Saul? You made a great, tragic mistake because you violated, openly violated the law of God, openly disobeyed God. God is going to reject your dynasty, your family, from serving as king of Israel. Rejected. You know, Samuel, Saul was always good for excuses. You know, you ask him, but when does a boy become a man? Well, one part is when a boy, boy becomes a man when he's a, a willing to assume responsibility for his own failures. And some boys are men at 15, and some men are, not, are still boys at 45. They're still looking around for someone else on whom to place the blame for their failures. And Saul did this constantly, always, constantly, always looking around for a scapegoat. And he looked around here and said, I was here and you hadn't come and I was under pressure and the people pressured me and the people pressured the people, the people, the people, environment pressured me. So I went ahead and did it. Samuel said, you made a great, tragic mistake but despite the fact he made a mistake they won the battle and the man that led the battle was Jonathan and, and, and Saul made a very foolish vow he said let nobody eat anything all day long totally defeat the Philistines his son Jonathan didn't hear that nobody told him 
So Jonathan took a little something to eat, and it revived him, gave it to a few soldiers, and they were able to conquer the Philistines, devastatingly defeated the Philistines. But when Saul learned about it, he said, let's put this man, whoever it is, to death. It's your own son. Well, put him to death. And the soldiers remonstrated with Saul, said, not your son, we can't. Jonathan fought well, and so he didn't do it. But he always held that against his son. There are bad father-son relationships between Jonathan and Saul because Jonathan, he was the next in line to the heirship of the king. But God said, not you, Jonathan, but David. And Jonathan said, all right. And he submitted to the will of God, and he loved David. And he was willing to help David aspire to the place that normally he would have aspired to. Jonathan is a great figure in the Old Testament. So Saul is rejected. The first failure, the failure in the Philistine War. Now in chapter 15, God says to Saul, uh, you go up to the Amalekites and war against the Amalekites. Who were the Amalekites? Well, the Amalekites are the people that constantly made raids against Israel, threatened them when, they, when Moses was leading them through the wilderness, wouldn't let them come through. And, 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 and whenever Israel got weak, Whenever, like a buzzard that watches, like a buzzard that watches for a, an animal that's been injured and gets weak and then strikes. So the Amalekites watched, and whenever Israel got weak, they would strike them in quickly, out quickly, and devastatingly strike them and demolish them and burn their villages. God said, you go and destroy them. Destroy them. Destroy them. All men, all women, all children, destroy them. Be sure to destroy Agag the king. So Samuel warred against them, but he didn't destroy them all. He spared some of the sheep, and he spared the king Agag. And, uh, and uh, so Samuel came to him, and uh, he said uh, very piously, very piously. He sounds like a deacon here, see, very piously. You see, he said, um, have you done what God has asked you to do? He said, yes, blessed be the Lord God. Amen. Blessed be the Lord God. Amen. I've done all that the Lord, all that the Lord asked me to do, I have done. <laughs> see, well, what is that? What, well, I say, the best of the flock to give to you, uh, to give to God. But didn't God say destroy it all? Yes, yes, he did. But here was the best. So I saved the best to give to God. But didn't God say don't do it? Don't, don't save any? Kill all of it, all the cattle, all the flock? Yes, but I saved the best. Ah, said Samuel. But don't you recall it's never right? to do wrong, to do right. In saving it, you disobeyed the voice of God. And to obey is better than to what? The first verse I taught my children was not John 3.16. 1 Samuel 15.26. 
To obey is better than to sacrifice. To obey is better than to preach. To obey is better than to serve as a deacon. What is the thing that pleases the heart of God above all things other things? It's obedience to the will of God. And Samuel disobeyed God. And you know what, what Samuel said to, to, to Saul? He said, uh, rebellion, disobedience, rebellion is as witchcraft. Now, what did he mean by that? I hope you listen to this. What he meant by that is that a man that's rebellion, rebellious in rebellion against God, including a believer, as Saul was, opens the door to demonic influence. So to rebel against God, says Samuel, rebellion is as witchcraft. It opens up the door to demonic influence. And about 12 chapters later, where is Saul? With the witch of Endor in a seance. And it started way back here. And so said Samuel, God's rejecting you. You're not going to be the king. God is finished. And Samuel left Saul and saw Saul no longer after that event. That's a rejection of Saul from the throne. Look at chapter 15. Chapter 15. Chapter 15. Look at verse 15 very quickly. Verse 15, Saul said, verse, chapter 15, verse 15, Saul, I wish I could stay here and preach, but I can't, see. But here's a great lesson. 1 Samuel 15, 15, Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. Now, you notice who, who, who is it? Who? Not I. <laughs> it was Saul, but now that he sees it's wrong, he slips off and he says, it's the people. The people. The people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. See, we, 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 we did it in order to do something good. Or to put it in modern terms, a young fellow says, I'm, I'm a Christian, I want to do a good thing, win this girl to Christ, so I'm going to marry her, though she's unsaved, to win her to Christ. So I saved the best. I disobeyed God. I'd save the best in order to sacrifice. What did Samuel say that? Verse 22, has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Has he his great delight in those as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than what? And to hearken than the fat of rams. Look at that. To, be, to obey is better than... Then what? What else do you want to put in there? To obey is better than what? Tithing? To obey is better than what? Preaching? To obey is better than what? Well, that is a lot better than that. And you're falling asleep. Now. Whatever you want to put in there, whatever is good. Whatever. Do you think offering a sacrifice, is that a good thing? Come on now. Is it a good thing? Yes, it's good. But, when I have to violate a command of God in order to offer a sacrifice, then it's wrong. See, that's the old 
theory that the end justifies the means, and it doesn't. So to obey is better than to or preach or witness or serve as a deacon, whatever it may be. What is the first thing that God requires of us? Obedience. What did Jesus say? If you love me, preach. Is that what he said? If you love me, do what? To obey is better than to sacrifice. Saul failed there. God rejected him from the throne. So you read the rest of the story. God, uh, Samuel, leaves and, 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 and as he leaves, Saul reaches out, grabs his skirt. You know, they wore long, kind of like pajamas, uh, bathrobe. Saul grabs it and it rips off. Samuel takes it and tears it. And he said, just like you ripped that, God is going to rip the kingdom away from your family and away from you and give it to another. God is finished with you. Ichabod, God is finished. And from that point on, Saul is on the decline. So we come to the third great stage in Saul's life, and that's his... Um, is what have I got up there? Deflection? All right, deflection. Or perhaps better, declension. I meant to write the word declension there. Saul's declension. Saul's decline and David's rise. Saul's deflection or perhaps a little better, Saul's declension. Or to put it in graphic terms, Saul is now on the toboggan going down. Saul's declension. He's been rejected by God due to his sin, and now he's, he's on the decline. Saul's declension, and there's an overlapping in, Gen in, in 1 Samuel 16 to 31. This embraces chapter 16 to 31, which would be, I think, 16 chapters. Chapter 16 through 31, 16 chapters. And there's an overlapping. We can either put this in Saul's life or we can put this in David's life because they overlap. What we see here is Saul declining, 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 and David's star rising, 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 rising. So it's Saul's declension and David's rise to power and to fame. Now, <clears throat> there are three major movements. Three major movements in these 16 chapters. Three major movements. I don't have them. I didn't have time, place on that board. Three major movements. First, first, David's rise to fame by four events. Second, Saul the pursuer and David the fugitive. And finally, third, Saul's final decline in death. Now, let's look at those three. Number one. Saul's rise to fame by four events. Chapter 16, 17, 18, and 19. Number one. What did I call that, number one? David's, what did I call that, David's rise to fame by four events. 16 to 19. David's rise to fame by four events, chapter 16 to 19. Now, what are those four events by which David rises to fame? Well, 
Number one, David is anointed as king. That's chapter 16, 1 to 13. Look at chapter 16, verse 13. Chapter 16, we'll just have to touch on this. Chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day onward. So Samuel rose up, went to Ramah. Now, you recall that story, don't you? Remember that God said to Samuel, go down to the home of Jesse, and you're going to find the next king. So uh, Samuel went down to Jesse's home and said to Jesse, uh, uh, you've got a son here, he's going to be king. Bring out your son. So he brought out number one. He was six foot eight, all American, last two years, big, tall, handsome. As he came forward, God said, not this one, not, not he, not he. Not him, not he, not he. So he brought the second one, not he. Third one, not he. Fourth, five, six, seven, not one of them. Anymore? No. Sure? Well, yes, I got a little boy down in the barn taking care of the cows. Bring him on. So he brought David, 15 years old, 16 years old, 15 years old. And as he came, God said to Samuel, that, is my choice. Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the, and he saw a man after God's own heart. So that's when he took that vial of oil. David knelt down, took that vial of oil and broke it, <clears throat> and the oil came down over his hair and down his body. Why did they break that oil? See, that word uh, anoint is the word, it's Mashiach, from which we get the word Messiah, the Greek word is Christos, Christ. Mashiach, Christos, Christ is the same. And that oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So whenever a man entered an office, they broke that vial of oil, poured the oil over him, a symbol of the Holy Spirit coming upon that man to empower him for service. So David was anointed. But privately, privately, Samuel said, keep it under the wraps. Saul hears it. Your life won't be worth a plug nickel privately. Number two, David brought to the royal court. That's the rest of chapter 16, verses 14 to 23. David is brought to the royal court. Maybe next time I'll try to get this outline. I didn't have time. We're in our missionary conference right now, and that plus throwing papers at four in the morning, I tell you, I haven't had much to do. But anyway, I'm going to try and get this... Uh, Maybe give you this outline next time. Second thing we have, David is brought to the royal court. You remember this. Uh, Saul has some emotional problems. Saul has some emotion. Saul really got in a lot of difficulties. Ended up demon influence. But he had some emotional problems. Fell into fits of anger. And music, music soothes the heart of the beast. And David was a great poet a great musician, great leader, a great military strategist. He was an outstanding man. And just a young lad, so they brought him into the court. David played the lyre, and uh, it soothed Saul. And he came into the court, and when Saul was in an emotional, disturbed situation, David would play, and it soothed him. Then in chapter 17, here was a Philistine, a Philistine, they came up, the Philistines were over here, 
and they were threatening, they're threatening Israel, and it was one great big fellow that challenged anybody to come out. What was his name? This was the Jerry Lawler of the 10th century B.C. His name was Goliath. Goliath. He was nine feet tall. I was talking to my boy David. Now, you know, nine feet, well, you're usually kind of clumsy. But Saul had all this. He, he was nine feet, but he was also, also uh, mobile. He could move around very easily. Nine feet, but move around easily. Samson, that is the one that's playing up there in Virginia, seven feet four. What if you had one on your, listen, that would be a franchise, wouldn't it? Nine feet tall, Goliath. And so uh, uh, he challenged him, and all the Israelites were scared stiff. Dunham would stand up against Goliath. Oh, one day they sent on David down. He was just a lad, 17 years of age, and they sent him on down, and and David had a divine perspective, and he got down there, and here was this, here they were in a valley, and the Philistines up on the side of the hill, and the Israelites over on this hill, quaking in their boots, scared stiff. Here was Goliath every day come down and challenge, challenge the, the Israelite and the God of Israel to come out, fight him. Nobody except the challenge. So David said to his brother, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that challenges the God of Israel? He said, go, go, Goliath. And, and uh, uh, well, who's going to go out and tackle him? Well, nobody, nobody. See. It's not time yet. <laughs> nobody. Uh, we've reduced our military expenditures. We can't go out and tackle him. So nobody's going to handle him. So uh, David said, well, listen, uh, somebody ought to. He's defiant. Not Israel. That's nothing. He's defying the God of Israel. I'll go out. You. Yes, I'll go out. Don't think you can go out. Yes. Not I, but God. So he came to Saul's attention, and Saul said, all right. And you know the story. He went out there and got that slingshot. One stone. Took five, but only one of them. He threw that thing, and it hit Saul in the pituitary gland, I guess. Socked him right there, and he dropped like a ton of bricks. Killed him. And he went over, cut his head off, and uh, conquered Goliath. In the name of the Lord God, because he was a man that blasphemed the name of God. And David was jealous for the name and honor of our God, as we ought to. Now, we, in this age of grace, we don't chop people's head off. See, our... Church and state are not one as it was in those days. So we don't chop people's head off. But at the same time, we ought to be jealous for the honor and the glory of our God, and David was. And he won a great victory. And, you know, when he got on back there, why, they all started singing the praises of David, and, and they said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousand. And that got to the ears of Saul. And he couldn't take that, see. And then began, now you listening? Then began to grow the root of bitterness. Do you know what Paul, or the author of Hebrews, warns us against? The root of bitterness growing up in our soul. Envy, jealousy. 
from here on that root of bitterness begins to grow and grow and grow and grow and the, and and just like uh, just like in Moby Dick the old captain has one great passion to get hold of that whale so Saul has one great passion drives him that is to kill David who now aspires will be the next king because of envy and jealousy the root of bitterness in his soul and that can crop up in anybody so from here on here on we find this so Saul makes eight attempts very quickly eight attempts to kill David eight attempts eight attempts chapters 18 to 19 you can read them eight attempts let me give them to you very quickly you won't be able to write them down because I'm going to go quicker than that first when he's playing, he throws a spear at him. David's, David dodges it. Secondly, he throws another spear at him, and David dodges it. Third, he offers him his daughter, but he says, in order to have my daughter, I want you to go down and kill a hundred Philistines and bring their foreskins to me. David goes down and kills 200. See, he thought that the Philistines would kill David, but they didn't. David killed them and he gave his daughter to wife. Fourth, he commanded his servants and Jonathan to slay David. They would not do it. Fifth, he called them in, he was playing again, and the evil spirit came on Saul again, and he cast the spirit David again, and David dodged it the third time and got out. Sixth, he sent soldiers to David's home to kill David. But David's wife learned of it, and David was led out by the window and escaped. Seventh, Saul sent three companies of soldiers. One, two, three. Three different occasions, one day after another, to go and get David and kill him. When they got over to Ramah, David by now had gone to Samuel at Ramah. When they got over there, the men were prophesying, and the soldiers got over there, and the Spirit of God came upon them, and they prophesied also, and they couldn't kill him. So number eight, Saul said, I'll go over and kill him. So he goes over to Ramah, and he gets over there, and these prophets are prophesying, and the Spirit of God comes on Saul, and he prophesies, and therefore he cannot kill David either. Eight attempts, they all fail. In all of this, the Bible says again and again, David acted wisely. Didn't try to get revenge. He considered Saul the Lord's anointed. He said, I won't put my hand on the Lord's anointed. But David knew as long as he's in the palace or at home around here that he's never safe. So David said, I'm going to have to leave. And for the next six chapters, chapter 20 to 26, David is a fugitive. So we have number two. Number two, the second thing, the second movement. I said there are three movements. 16 to 19 is the first one. Now the second movement. Saul the pursuer and David the fugitive. Chapters 20 to 26. Saul the pursuer and David the fugitive. That's the second movement. Saul the pursuer, David the fugitive. Chapters 20 to 26. And there are three things here. First of all, Jonathan protects David. David is... David is, uh, 
near home and they have a feast and all the political leaders are supposed to be there and David's supposed to be there. David says, I'm afraid to come. Your dad, he says to John, your dad wants to kill me. No, I, John says, I, don't, I think he's gotten over that. No, I don't believe he has. Well, we'll test it. I won't show up for two days. Now, if your father gets angry, if he doesn't say anything, he says, all right, fine. Then come out and shoot an arrow and send a man but shoot the arrow. I'll hide over there, but you shoot it short. But if your father gets angry and wants to kill me, you shoot the arrow a long way beyond me, send the servant, and I'll know that I have to flee. So they met. Saul said, Jonathan, where's David? Well, David went down to Bethlehem. Saul blew his top. He was angry. Angry. So Jonathan, Jonathan went out, took that arrow, and shot it long distance beyond David. Said to his servant, go get it. Servant got it, brought it back to Jonathan. Jonathan said, you go on home now. Then Jonathan went over to where David was hiding behind the bushes. David said, I'll have to leave. I'm going to flee. They loved one another. Jonathan was in a hard spot. His daddy on the one hand and David whom he loved. He respected them both. So he said, I have to flee. So David now is a fugitive and he flees. He flees sometimes in Judah, sometimes down the land of Philistia, back and forth, down to the cave of En Gedi, down to Nob, down to Gath and Philistia. He's always on the flight, always a step ahead of Saul. He gets there and Saul finds out somebody tattles on him. And Saul heads out with his soldiers to kill David. David learns he's coming and he flees that place and heads out for another place. He's on the flight. He's now a fugitive. And Saul makes three major attacks on David to kill him. And you probably remember those attacks. The first one, he's, he attacks, he, he, he is in the desert, which is east, east west of the Dead Sea, and he's about ready to move on David to kill him, and he gets the news the Philistines have come, and so he has to go after the Philistines. Then secondly, he uh, lays siege to David at the cave of En Gedi, and David goes way back in the cave, and, da and Saul is here on the front of the cave, and he goes to sleep, and David sits up there and cuts off part of his garment. Remember that? The next morning, Saul, Saul leaves, goes down the mountain, the other side, David goes out, Saul, my Lord, Saul. And he said, look here, here's part of your garment. I cut it off. I could have killed you, but I didn't. I won't touch the Lord's anointed. I have no desire to injure you or to usurp your place as king. Saul said, my son, I'm wrong. You're right, I'm wrong, I've done a great disservice. But that didn't stop him. Then the third time, the third attack, he's in the wilderness of Zip. And, and they're on the mountain, one on one mountain, one on the other, and it's nighttime, and Saul, the wagons are around Saul like an old uh, westerner, they're around Saul. And David and one of his generals, Bishai, slip into camp. Bishai said, look, there he is sleeping. Stick him with the sword. <laughs> Kill him. Do away with him. David said, no, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. 
said the same thing in the cave of Engedi. I won't touch the Lord's anointing. God will deal with him. See, that's a good thing to remember when you have some church problems. You let God deal with them. Let God deal with them. Don't try to get revenge. David said, no, I won't. But he took his soul, sword and he took his cruise of water. Got over the other side of the mountain. Saul, Abner. Abner was Saul's general. Abner, look here. How come you aren't protecting your king? And Abner was embarrassed, see? <laughs> How come you aren't protecting your king? And then he saw, who is that? David. What is that? The spear and the cruise. My Lord, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I won't touch the Lord's anointed. I want you to know, despite all the lies the liars are telling about me, my relationship to you, they're not true. I have no desire to kill you. I could have killed you. And Saul said, well, that's right. And that's when Saul said, David, you're right. I have played the fool. I played the fool. Then the third great movement, Saul's final decline. He's on the toboggan now, his final decline and his death. And we're going to, I'll tell you what, we're going to save this to next time. And the reason we're going to save this to next time, first of all, we've got to get out of here. But that's not the major reason. We're going to save this to next time because there's a very important incident that takes place here. It's the incident of the witch of Endor. The calling up the Samuel. And I want to take a few minutes to look at that. And... Uh, to explain what I think took place and to point out that God, God vigorously denounces seances, necromancy, spiritism, astrology, and all this sort of thing. It's overtly denounced in the word of God. And here's one incident, but it can't be explained by uh, means of the medium. We're going to take that up, the death of Saul, and then the kingship of David next time. All right, let me make a couple of announcements. We have our missionary conference here together. Thank you for thy goodness and grace. Thank thee for the lives of these men. They're examples to us. And we pray, Lord, that as we study this Old Testament, that it may come alive to us and that thou give us uh, the ability and the insight to take the lessons and to apply them to our lives. Here's this man, Saul, great privileges, high IQ, probably a 28, 29 on an ACT, six feet six, handsome, good-looking, great potential, yet he ended in tragedy, ended in tragedy. And we know our God that, as the old saying is, that what thou art looking for is not ability, but availability. We pray that every one of us may walk in the path of obedience to the will of God, whatever it may cost. We pray that we may always be available to thee in our work today. Make us available today in our work as a channel through whom thou canst witness to somebody who needs the Lord Jesus. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.